In the early 1770s, in a small village in Italy, a parish church was having adoration and benediction one Sunday afternoon. And two young men, Anibal della Genga and Francesco Castiglioni, volunteered to serve benediction. And if you aren't familiar with it, benediction concludes adoration. It's when the priest blesses uh, the, the congregation with the Eucharist, which is displayed, exposed in the monstrance. Well, as this solemn ritual is taking place, there's a great commotion, and the congregation is shocked to see the two altar boys in an actual physical fight. And uh, Castiglioni, one of the altar boys, he takes the brass candlestick he was holding, and he hits the other boy in the head, giving him a terrible lump. Well, understandably, everybody was shocked and, and uh, um, a little bit horrified, and the boys were, were asked to leave. Now, fast forward 50-ish years. It's 1825, and the church is getting ready to celebrate a jubilee year, which is celebrated every quarter of a century. Um, and typically, a jubilee year is kicked off with a, with a very beautiful ceremony in St. Peter's Square. The Pope, with a large group of people, they approach the holy door to St. Peter's Basilica, which is only opened on these jubilee years, and the Pope is given a silver mallet or hammer, and he bangs on this door three times, each time saying, open unto me the gates of justice. The third time, the door swings open, and the Pope and his people uh, follow in, follow in through this holy door. Well, the Pope in 1825 was Leo the Leo XII, and he was assisted by one of his friends, uh, who was a cardinal archbishop. And this cardinal archbishop handed him the silver mallet, and, and as Leo took it. He said to him, I wonder if you remember the day you presented me with a brass candlestick and a lump on the head. You see, the Cardinal Archbishop was Francesco Castiglioni, and Pope Leo XII's baptismal name was Anibal della Genga. These were the two altar boys from the fight 50 plus years prior. And the story doesn't even end there. Two years later, Leo XII would die, and he would be succeeded by his friend, Cardinal uh, Castiglioni, who would take the name Pius VIII. I'm sure nobody who was at Benediction that Sunday afternoon in the early 1770s in a small village in Italy knew that they were witnessing the fight between two uh, future popes. But yet, that is exactly uh, what these two apparently troublesome young boys turned out to become. I like that story. It, it is something of a kind of a quirky historical anecdote, uh, but I mention it because it can, it can help us come to appreciate better the message Christ is trying to give us in the parable of the wheat and the weeds from our gospel today. So first, let's look at the parable, and we'll circle back and see how this story applies. In our gospel, Christ tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a field, which, which is, contains wheat amidst the weeds, weeds intermixed with the with the wheat. And in the parable, when the master discovers that the weeds have grown up alongside his wheat, he tolerates the weed, uh, tolerates the weeds for the time being, until harvest, when the two will be separated, the weeds will be burnt, and the wheat will be taken into the barn. And Christ tells us uh, what this parable means. He gives us the interpretation. The field is the world. The one who sows the good seed is Christ. The one who sows the, the evil seed, the weed, is um, the devil. Uh, the wheat are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the enemy. And the harvest is 
the last judgment when we will be separated, the sheep and the goats, um, the, the wheat and the weeds, so to speak. You really, there are a few, I would say, key lessons we can take away from this parable. First, you know, Christ gives us this parable uh, in order to strengthen our faith in the kingdom of God, which is manifested in the church, despite the scandal of some of her members. You know, one of the reasons people struggle to believe the church is the manifestation of the kingdom is scandal. Scandal among the clergy and hierarchy, which sadly we are all too familiar with in our day, but, but the scandal really of anyone who claims to be a believer, but whose life falls short. So this parable teaches us not to grow discouraged by the existence of weeds amidst the wheat, of evil amidst the good. It teaches us that uh, the evil in the church is not due to the negligence of God. It isn't because he's unaware of it, and it doesn't mean ultimately he won't do something about it. Secondly, Jesus uses this parable to, to teach us why God permits the church to be like a field with both wheat and weeds. God is merciful and patient. He gives us time for repentance. The simple truth is, it isn't just the church which is like a field of weeds and wheat. It is true of the heart and soul of each and every one of us. In each and every one of us, the weeds of sin are mixed in with the good wheat of Christ. Yet the message of this parable is ultimately one of hope. God permits the wheat and the weeds to coexist in order to give us time to repent. And nothing is impossible for the mercy and grace of Almighty God. Just as Christ transformed water into wine, he can transform weeds into wheat, sinners into saints. That is precisely what we see in the case of those two altar boys fighting in the church, who would both go on to become the successors of St. Peter. I'm sure there were people ready to give up on those boys right there, to write them off as, as trouble and no good. Yet, by the end of their lives, no one was saying that anymore. The two boys, they became uh, men of God. They aren't canonized saints, but obviously there was a profound transformation in their life. They made the most of the time God gave them. They repented, were converted. They allowed the grace of God to transform them. And we must follow their example. We must repent. And we can't put off repentance until tomorrow. Because the final layer, the third lesson of this parable, is a simple yet sobering reminder about the reality of the last judgment. It is a warning that one day we will all find ourselves before Christ the judge, and he will then ask us to give an account for our life. And Christ often talks about this, not to terrify us, not that we'll be paralyzed by fear, but that we keep in mind the heavy responsibility that's been entrusted to each and every one of us. We will one day be judged according to whether or not we chose to accept his grace and mercy, to repent and be converted, whether we chose to be counted among the weeds, or counted, uh, accept his grace to be transformed and counted among the wheat. So we must repent and be converted. How do we do that? I mean, it's easier said than done. Well, I actually think um, weeds and the, the problem of weeds can give us some insight into how sin operates in our heart and soul and how, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, we can overcome it. So first, if you have a garden, and uh, then you know it's a constant battle against weeds. Weeds don't stand pat, all right? It's not like, um, you know, you, you go through, you, you spray, and you pull up weeds one day, and then they're, they're not going to come back. Um, or if we neglect to spray, 
uh, and pull up weeds. They will overgrow and take over a garden. Well, so too is it with sin in our heart and soul. If it is not checked by the mercy and grace of Almighty God, sin, the weeds of sin, will overgrow in our heart and soul. And so we must have this constant vigilance. We must constantly be turning to God for his grace and mercy. Uh, This is something that requires diligence and vigilance. The second thing, you know, if you have a garden and you're doing battle with weeds, you need to know what kind of weeds you're facing, right? You need to know what kinds of weeds you're facing so you can know how to treat them, right? What kind of spray to use, you know, how to approach it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's the same thing with sin. We need to know what sin afflicts us so that we can bring it to the sacrament of mercy and healing, the sacrament of reconciliation. So the church has always upheld the practice of making a daily examination of conscience. And, and you know, this doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It's, we, we need to take some time, at, preferably at the end of our day, to ask God to send his light and grace that we might be able to review our day. We want to thank him for the blessings we've received, and we want to um, acknowledge and express sorrow for any failings and sins we may have committed. And then, if we do this regularly, we will begin to see a pattern emerge. We will begin to get some idea of what is at the root of our sins. There are seven deadly sins, and every single sin you can imagine any sin you can imagine, has its roots in one of those seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, gluttony, lust, greed. All sins, all sins are rooted in one of those seven vices. And you know what? We all struggle with one or two or three of those. If we make this daily examination of conscience, this will be brought to light, which of these we struggle with, and we can bring that to confession too, where our sins are wiped away and we're given the grace to fight temptation. And you know, the second point, it it dovetails nicely with the first about weeds, because it's not like we go to confession once and we're good and we're cured, right? I mean, yes, we are. Our sins are forgiven, but we're fallen creatures and we live in a fallen world. And so we need this process to repeat over and over. We need to go to confession frequently. We need to take advantage of God's grace and mercy so that he can uproot the weeds of sin from our heart and soul. Let us pray that God grants us the grace of true repentance so that we might allow him to transform us from weeds into wheat, from sinners into saints.